Welcome to the Continuous Delivery Podcast. My name is Chaba. I'm Zerar. I'm Cheesy. And I'm Hino. Today's topic is continuous delivery and databases. When you hear a continuous delivery and database in the same sentence, what comes to your mind first? Active record. Active record is a pattern that was developed in Rails. I, I think it was developed in Rails. That was where I saw it at first, at least, where your database changes are scripted and the scripts can take it from the previous step to the next step, from the previous change to the next change, or it could also go in reverse as well. And those scripts handle things like creating table, new tables, uh, modifying existing tables, creating indexes, uh, migrating data, those sort of things. And typically, whenever the application would be deployed, those scripts would be run to bring the, the database up to the level where it needs to be. So uh, that's kind of the standard-ish around how you would manage changes in a relational database primarily. Clearly, it implies that the changes are scripted. Uh, there's no room for manual changes in databases, in my view, and continuous delivery, just like there's no room for manual changes to any environment. A lot of the lessons learned in Active Record uh, still apply today, uh, specific, specifically in terms of uh, actually having source control for your database changes, which we don't normally think of. Uh, we, we don't normally associate uh, some sort of uh, SCM with your database. Database kind of exists on their own. They're fairly static. And then you build applications around it while consuming the same uh, structure and, 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 and data. But... Um, I think the, the lens that Active Record takes can still be applied today, where if you are making changes to your data store, you can actually store those changes as uh, as scripts in your source control repository in Git or something like that. Uh, so the idea that you can uh, you can incrementally and continuously make changes to your database, much like the way you you make changes to code. Uh, is still is still very relevant uh, to give an example of that like if you are you know if, if you're trying to create a table with four columns uh, your script might have a create table function and then you might have three or four alter table statements they they get executed in a particular sequence so you have a, a have a clear history on what that database was and how the model changed over time and i think some of those lessons can still be applied to uh, whether it's be schema or schemaless databases it's really all about database refactoring. It's it's applying those same ideas uh, to keep your code stable and working at all time. Uh, to do the same thing, uh, to to apply those ideas to data as well. And it's actually data refactoring, database refactoring that you are using at that moment. There's a couple of things that you you can do with this. And most of them have already been uh, been mentioned in terms of how can you uh, apply changes to your database. But what is important there as well is in most of those cases, those changes can also be undone. So if anything goes wrong, you can always take a step back. And uh, those frameworks do uh, do take care of that for you. And what Zerar said in terms of um, using those same principles and applying that to other types of databases that do not necessarily have that um have that framework uh, available right now. Really, the only thing that you need to do is put a table or put some um, some way of storing the current state of the database and uh, and being able to um, uh, with a script to validate whether or not this is the the version that you need and otherwise just bump the version up to uh, to the one that you need. That's ultimately the only thing that those things do. 
So uh, I'm pretty sure uh, all of you have been in a situation when you walk into an organization, there's a huge database, thousands of tables, uh, a huge amount of data, and uh, they maintain everything manually, like through through manual scripts. And uh, what would be your, your first uh, instinct or first step to, to take to move this organization more towards uh, uh, the models that you guys described? So the first thing that you got to do is got to make sure that your current version of your database is entirely scripted. So uh, if you now uh, take your application and you would need to install it entirely on a completely new uh, environment, make sure you can do this automatically. And that is including your database uh, and your, your app itself. If you can do that, you're uh, well on your way to, uh, to get to the next step, and that is making changes to it. But the first step needs to be how can you autom- automatically set up your database uh, with a clean install of completely automated? How about the data? Would you store the same uh, the same way as your uh, as your DDLs? The question might have two answers, right? Depending on which data you're talking about. Are you talking about data that is initialized in the database first? Or are you talking about data, so initialization data? So those things all also are scripted, right? Um, but if you're talking about data that has been accumulated over the course of using the application for uh, for a while, uh, then there is a clear migration step. And that migration step needs to be done uh, explicitly as well, of course. Active Record and most of the tools out there now have this notion of seed data. So, and it's, it's kind of what Hino was talking about, which is, is again, scripts that, that will initially create more of the, the reference type data. So in other words, not customer or end user data or the data is accumulated, but more of the data that your system needs in order to start up. I've also seen where, you know, test suites, uh, that that might want to hit a database of some sort would set up the data that they need, you know, that uh, prior to the tests. But typically, the way that that works is it will create the the data that it needs for an individual test, and then it will clear that data out after the test or roll back the transaction or something along those lines. So, as far as your your actual live environment, though your production environment. Uh, yeah, you, you typically don't recreate that. Uh, that's a much bigger thing. What you do is, like, like, like we said earlier, each change, if the change requires some data changes as well, then the active record script or the script that actually is making that change will make those data changes. Data isn't always a prohibitive of continuous delivery. Uh, I, I don't think you necessarily need to be as quick and fast with your, uh, with your data stores, uh, to do continuous delivery because most most people have usually built some sort of layer, some sort of API layer or presentation layer on top of the data, which requires usually more changes and more stability than the underlying data. So uh, I just want to say that it's it's not necessarily that you need your database to be as high-end, fast-moving than the rest of your app because uh, at the end of the day, your database structure doesn't doesn't change as frequently as the features that uh, that that are built on top of it. Now, of course, there are cases where you may require a lot of changes to your data store to deliver features. And I think in in those cases, should you be thinking about, okay, how do I make database changes faster and 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 more uh, safely? and And usually, uh, if, if you look at any sort of even like medium sized company, you usually have like a data owner, like a data architect or a DBA those data guardians that generally have slowed 
the frequency and and the speed at which database changes are made if we actually think about you know what what are the expertise required of that role and can we give the team some of that expertise you'll find that uh, your overall velocity or speed as a team will go up because that knowledge of how to make changes safely is now in the team instead of a particular DBA or, or or whatever the role is. So I think, so, so, so two parts. One, you may not always need to revamp how you do uh, data management, uh, but when you do, uh, that 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 knowledge on on how to how to work with databases or whatever data stores should really be with the team. And I think that's the big gap that, uh, that, that a lot of people face. So when we talk about continuous delivery, then we are talking about testing. Uh, is, is, are there any pitfalls that... Uh, that uh, you guys can think of when we are when we are testing data changes or or, or testing database migrations. So I've worked with several you know projects where there was a big data migration involved, and uh, you can use a variety of techniques to make sure that your data migration did work okay. Uh, like the most popular ones that, that that you can you can think of probably are something something like checksums, where if you are migrating to a data from A to B, how do you validate whether it's 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 equal? And you you can basically ch- take checksums of rows or columns or whatever your or your context is and try to compare that. Those are generally very expensive operations and and take take a little bit of time. In in the absence of that, you can also rely on certain tooling out there that's um, that's specific to the to the type of data store. Uh, the one that comes to mind is DBUnit. Uh, DBUnit is a is a framework which basically does unit testing for databases, but that's very specific to RDBMS. You have similar tools in Mongo and so on that do similar things. But if you want to build something kind of kind of for yourself, checksums are a very fairly easy uh, though, though somewhat intensive way of uh, of going at it. Clearly, some of this depends on the actual data store itself. Uh, I, I worked on a project a while ago, uh, not not too long ago, actually, where where we had an elastic search. Our pipeline would literally go out and create a new instance and populate the data, import everything, and would actually not move the the link that made it production. So we we could literally create a new database in production we could do whatever testing we needed to do and then execute a simple command just to change the the pointer link into the new database so that's something that I, that i've heard of before uh there's another local company here in toronto that's deploying to production many many times a day uh that i was talking to some of their dev some of their engineers and they were explaining to me that they actually sequence pipeline activities so that for example sometimes they have to have uh, database changes go down the pipeline as a standalone pipeline uh, deployment to make the changes. And then they actually go out and verify everything before they send the code that's actually going to leverage that change on the pipeline. Now, that creates some complexity and some sequencing and things like that. But but databases are complex, and so there, I'm sure there are probably a lot of other ways to sequence or manage a lot of this that, that I'm not aware of, but those are just a couple of ideas that come to mind real quickly. And your options really go through the roof if, you're, if your data is stored uh, on the cloud somewhere. Like if, if you're using something like Firebase or, or any Amazon service to do that, there's so much redundancy built into, into any storage that you can actually make a change. And if things don't work out, you can back it out extremely, extremely quickly and safely. You have machine learning algorithms which are built on a large, large amount of data sets, which you don't necessarily always want to migrate. Say, say you, you, you computed some sort of a result based on a large amount of data. People serialize 
that result uh, without the data attached to it. So you, so you store what what the data produced and work against that rather than working against the data every single time. So there are all these optimizations built in now with the tooling that's out there where you don't necessarily need to take the data with you to get the benefits of the data. I actually want to bring something up that um, and challenge Zerar on, on what he mentioned before, uh, where he said, well, it most of the changes will happen with your code and uh, and if your if your data structure is fairly stable then then don't beat yourself up too much on not having a solution for uh, for automating your database changes uh, i think that's a that's a slippery slope um because uh, i've i've seen it i've seen it in the past as well where uh teams they they start doing continuous deployment and they they or continuous delivery, and they have absolutely no data to store, or they they keep everything in memory for a while and the beginning of the project. But as soon as the data comes in and they don't have a solution for that, they completely give up. And then suddenly continuous delivery is no longer the case. When you when you just have some software to deploy, and every single time you can start a new, it, it's not really hard, right? Um, it's the easiest, the easiest solution at least. But as soon as there's data in the mix, you got to think about so many more things. You got to think about how do we migrate the data that is already existing? How long does uh, such a deployment take? Is there anything that we need to be aware of in terms of backwards compatibility and so forth? All of that stuff, because there might be other clients, right, for your data. So all of that stuff needs to, uh, needs to be considered. Uh, and and there is a there is a bunch more complexity that comes in play. There's another idea that a lot of people have been working with, which is how can we decouple our data store from the application itself? And they're using things like like Kafka or things like that, where where all of the data that we capture on always are kind of pushed down Kafka as as an example. And further in, on the back end, then we have different processes that cherry pick the data that they might be interested in and, and write it out to various data stores, you know? So again, creating sort of an abstraction where all data goes into one location, but that uh, we, we could, you know, manage or change the, the collection of that data into a data store or a specific data store at a different frequency. So that, that then, and there are other things that are being played with from an architecture standpoint or from a data standpoint you know, microservices, I know there's a lot of debate about that right now, but microservices drive us away from the huge monolithic uh, database structure as well to more, much, much smaller, higher, highly focused databases. And again, one of the things that it does is it helps with rapid delivery. And I think if you look at larger trends, I think you're looking more at event-driven data than just static data. So like, for example, like if you're in an app and you're looking at the leaderboard of a, of a game that you're playing, you know, traditionally you would go to the database, run a query and show that information to the to the user on their phone or what have you. Uh, and I think now when you look at some of the performance constraints that are around a simple app like that, you would never actually create just an RDBMS because that would become your bottleneck immediately. So your architecture around how your data is stored has drastically changed, I think, over the over the years as consumer apps have demanded of, of technology. So, so something like that, you would probably implement as a more of a permanent data store, which could be in an RDBMS or something else. But then what the user actually sees doesn't actually go to the RDBMS. It probably goes to something like a Redis store or something which gets uh, filled, uh, you know, on, on events rather than going to the database every time. So depending on your context, data is so context dependent that the solution that, that you might 
provide. It depends really on the on, on the user experience that you want. In the example that I gave, you want speed there. And you can almost afford to show the wrong information to the user. You can probably afford to show them something which is, you know, a little bit stale. So you take that risk and, and you architect around it. So as soon as as soon as you think about what the user experience should be, uh, what affordances you can make of the user, that almost informs what architecture should uh, should support your app. So when you throw data into the mix, there the options are tremendous. But but the main thing really is. What kind of redundancy, latency, performance can, can your user experience afford you? And that might, that, might, that might inform your architecture. What advice would you guys give to anyone who is uh, uh, working in, in organizations where these practices that uh, are not quite there? My advice would be don't give up. You know, uh, it, databases are a difficult thing to, uh, to get under control if you haven't uh, started from the beginning in that way. But uh, but but the benefit is worth it. Uh, the the safety that comes with scripting database changes is immense. Don't settle for a, a data model that is not fulfilling your need because it's too hard to change. Um, get your delivery process under control and uh, try to figure out how to make those changes uh, to your database model to your uh, to your data store uh, so that it supports your application better. I'd say take the 80-20 rule. Uh, if 80% of your uh, database changes are of a certain type and they go through a certain process, uh, which requires some sort of, which, which has some sort of bottleneck in there, see what the, what the flavor of those changes are and see if you can actually have the development team propose or actually make those changes themselves. That way you alleviate the bottleneck while at the same time you're, 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 you're embedding that knowledge, that knowledge about data maintenance into the team. And this concludes today's continuous delivery podcast. Thank you very much.